So does that mean a full gender reassignment physically? Yes, so I will start hormones and for female to male transgender um, people we take testosterone and there are like three forms that you can take it. You can take it injections, patches and I think there's a pill. Imagine what it's like to be born into a body that doesn't feel like it's your own. This was a really remarkable and difficult conversation with this guest. We're really lucky um, that Sam agreed to come and sit with us and share uh, some of his story. It's about feeling like you're not in your skin. And this episode really gave me such a deep insight into what it feels like to be born, um, yeah, to be born in a body that's not yours. And we're all familiar with the term transgender, but I think this conversation really took it into another place, that you know who you are, Sam knows who he is, but the world around him didn't view him the way he viewed himself. And I think that's kind of a universal experience for a lot of us. Yeah, totally. And I think one of the complexities in this story is Sam navigating the change in those relationships around him as his own identity shifted so significantly. And what a brave and awesome young human. Sam's only 18. And to be able to sit and tell his story so beautifully and with such raw insight was a real privilege for us. Let's have a listen to Sam. I don't think anyone says it better than he does. So, Sam, you were one of three children, the youngest of three children, and it sounds like you grew up in predominantly a sports-mad family, or at least you and your sister. Tell us a bit about your growing up years. Well, growing up, we were always very active. Even my brother, he used to do tennis a lot. So, you know, there was a lot of, like, travelling and things because we used to live out in Pakenham. And so we'd be in the car for, like, three hours driving my sister to gym, getting my brother to tennis, and then getting me to gym because I did gym at that time as well. So, you know, it was a bit intense, to be honest, not much time to like relax because and not really much time for dinner, like family dinners, Hmm. because, you know, we'd be coming back from gymnastics. I'd be eating my dinner in the car and then I'd probably go to bed straight away. You know, it was like not a lot of family time except for the weekends. But, you know, we were all pretty supportive of each other, especially my sister, because, you know, she, um, you know, quite successful when it came to gymnastics. So it was... um, very, I feel like it's very different. It's not your traditional type of growing up, I feel, but I was always very active and, you know, skinny and whatnot. And I feel like that sort of discipline and sort of at a young age has sort of helped me a little bit throughout getting through like tough times and things because, you know, gymnastics can be quite a hard sport, especially when growing up. To be honest, I struggled with it a bit, but going through harder times later on I feel like those experiences and you know teaching how to push myself out of my comfort zone has really helped me later on and I think it's helped me with like understand my sister a bit more and whatnot so what was it about um sports or gymnastics that you were drawn to or were you just following suit well gymnastics I think I sort of started at I started when I was three, so I started at a very young age, so I didn't really have much of a choice. But after that, it sort of felt like it was a part of my nature to be doing sport because I, it just life felt boring without it, like I wasn't really doing anything otherwise. Were your parents really sporty? Because like, where did that drive come from within your family culture? My mum wasn't too sporty, but my dad was a rower and he went to the Commonwealth Games for New Zealand. 
so he was quite sporty and I think that sort of push to do something came from him but and then my mum like decided oh gymnastics seems like a fun sport <laughs> and your sister went on and won a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games yeah. right what, what year was that that was 2018 yeah just well, the recent one. Not quite recently. Yeah. Okay. And so was there a bit of pressure then in that environment growing up, given your dad had gone to the Commonwealth Games and, you know, all this elite sporting? Was Did that feel like pressure? It didn't feel like pressure, but it did feel like I wanted to do something similar. Like I wanted to sort of follow in his footsteps. And if I never quite got there, I felt like I was always going to be, you know, disappointed. Like, because I wanted to be, you know a successful sports star you know whoever doesn't like when you're growing up in sport everyone wants to be the best but sort of you know having my sister it was sort of like some friendly competition I guess and to see who could get to the Olympics first and whatnot so so you wanted to be like your dad in what ways now in most ways he's such a great person and he's so friendly and kind and loving and he's very open and very supportive and I just like appreciate that so much and I just he's you know maybe in his earlier years he struggled a bit um to you know build a connection and be a bit more open but I think he's really grown as a person and because I live with him just him and I we've really grown together and like you know come together as a team. When did your parents separate how old were you? It was actually on my birthday. They um, So my dad left a couple days before my eighth birthday. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what year that was. Okay, but you're 18 now. Yeah, I'm 18 now. So it's now. 10 years ago. So maybe yeah, about. Let's say 2010. Yeah, probably about. At a really significant, well, any age is significant yeah. for your parents to separate, but, it, but on your birthday. Yeah. Like I didn't know at the time that he had left. I, he, he said that he went on a trip and that's what my mum, you know, continued to tell me. And I probably found out um, maybe a couple weeks after that he had left, but I never put together that he had left on my birthday until like I was a bit older. Like I, I was never very good at processing anything as a kid. I sort of just, it like pushed it out of my brain once it had happened and it was gone. So I think, you know, when I found out that later on he had left on my birthday, I think I was a bit, like, in shock that I had figured it out. I was like, wow, like, that's a bit stuffed, you know, like, he left on my birthday. But I think how he's helped me over the years, it's sort of helped me, like, forgive it and get over it because, you know, he's done so much for me that it doesn't really bother me that much anymore. So you moved in with him at what age or did you live, continue to live with your mother and siblings for some time after the separation? So I lived with my mum um, and my siblings after the separation until about 2016 and then I started doing a sort of split um, family thing, like a week on, week off thing. But before that we would see my dad every second weekend and we go to his house and like spend the weekend there but that eventually stopped because he got married to um, my stepmom and we sort of lost that connection like he stopped putting in effort he sort of focused a bit more on my stepmom and I can understand that he you know wanted to find love and whatnot and like I think that's a bit like I think 
he's made up for it now. Mm. But at the time, I think my brother and my sister and I were very upset and hurt. And so we just stopped bothering, you know, seeing him as much. Like we may have gone out with him on Christmas and whatnot, but it was probably about two years that we didn't really go over to his house. So what was the catalyst to changing that for you? Um, I went through a bit of an emotional change where I wasn't getting as much emotional support from my mum. And so my dad was the one who was there and he took me to see a psychologist and whatnot and he really helped me out. But to do that, I had to stay with him for a little while because my mum wasn't really available for me to be there. And, you know, that's understandable, I guess. What was the issues that you took to the psychologist? um, I was depressed and I had a lot of anxiety and um, I also had a lot of um, gender dysphoria. So I was at Haukwa at the time. Which, for listeners who don't know, is a year-long program where Year 9 students live in the country for the entire year. Yeah. Yeah. So I was at Haukwa at the time and um, I started to self-harm and have suicidal thoughts. So they decided to send me home and they said, go see a psychologist and then when he says that you're allowed to come back, um, come back whenever you feel. So I left and I went to go see the psychologist to get checked and whatnot. And then after that, when I headed back to Haukwa, I Skyped him once a week and you know called my parents and got like, a support that I needed. So you were about, what, 15, 14? About, yeah, about that age, turning 15, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you describe um, when you talk about having gender dysphoria, what was that like for you? What did it feel like to be you at that time? Well, I still have gender dysphoria now. I don't think it's something that will ever go away. It's just something that I'm just going to have to learn to live with. Help listeners understand and help us understand what you mean by gender dysphoria. So I'm transgender, which means that I don't identify with my natural born gender. And that means basically that I'm incredibly uncomfortable in my own body, especially with my more feminine parts. And that gives me a lot of anxiety, especially in social situations. So even if I'm just walking down the street and a gust of wind blows, I'm going to be over overcome with anxiety and um, just discomfort. Around your body, is it because when the wind blows, you can see yeah. your, your physical form? Mm. You can see breasts and, yeah. you can see, and that's not who you are. Yeah. Like, and when I look in the mirror, I just like don't see myself. I don't see who the person I want to be, you know. At what age do you think? think I mean this all started coming up in a big mm. way obviously around 14 15 at what age do you think you're first aware that you didn't relate to your assigned gender as long as I can remember you know my we call it a dead name um, but my given name was Samantha I've always gone as Sam because I hated how you know feminine that name was and ever since I was a kid because I thought the colours like pink and purple were very feminine. I disassociated myself with those. I was like, no, I don't want to wear pink. I don't want to wear purple. They're like girls' colours. I don't like it. And like just like get them away from me. I don't want to use those colours. I don't even want to touch them. Mm. I was like very against anything that was, you know, traditionally feminine. And how did people respond in your younger years, so kindergarten teachers, parents, siblings, neighbours, everyone's wanting to put a bow in your hair or not because of, not because you're Samantha, but that's yeah. what a, a lot of our culture, unfortunately. Yeah. Like Barbie for your birthday. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we, we know better, but we're yeah. still struggling to do better. So, To be honest, 
I would throw a lot of tantrums if, like, you tried to dress me more feminine. But, you know, I think I was less bothered by it, you know, when I didn't really know what I was wearing, like, when I was, like, three or four. But when I started to figure out that it was more feminine clothes, I did throw tantrums and get very upset. And I think my parents were very frustrated by that. I don't think I had any problems ever at school. Um, It was just a lot of... um, oh, I'm a boy, like I was walking around, you know. You, you put words like, to you. you said that out loud? Um, I did say that out loud one time. I was walking around the school trying to convince people that I was a guy. And yet you attended an all-girls school mm. for 13 years. Yeah. I was very young, so it was like, you know, a kid not being like very aware and like whatnot. I think it was like prep or something very, very early on. Everyone was like, no, you're not. You're at an all-girls school. And I was like, yeah, I'm a boy. You just don't know it. Yeah, yeah, so. mm. And what was it like? Because then you continued Mm. to stay at the same school for 13 years. What was that experience like? Because you just told us you didn't have many issues at school. So there was some sense of acceptance or people knew you for who you were there, perhaps more than in other domains of your life. I had a lot of support and acceptance from my friends you know I would consider them as like my second family you know they gave me a lot of you know love and whatnot when I didn't really have it at the time it was overwhelming like I was scared when I came out I came out in 2016 um at Hakwa um when I came out everyone was like oh kind of knew it like um but you know in my earlier years I probably did have more issues with it because people would call me Samantha to like tease me Mm. and whatnot and it would make me really upset so I'd get a little bit angry or a lot angry yeah and you know going through puberty was very difficult and talking about it I never talked about like getting my period or whatnot because I just had so much anxiety about it even talking about it now like makes me incredibly uncomfortable but definitely when it first started I was like I I don't want this like this isn't who I am so why is it happening to me and I definitely didn't say anything to my parents any of my friends I just kept it in because I knew that I just had to figure out a way to live with myself as a female and I just I was at the point where I was like I don't know like there's no because I didn't know what being transgender was so I was like Either I magically turn into a boy tomorrow or I'm stuck like this and I just have to learn how to live with it. And when did you start to explore or learn more about the trans community? In year eight, that was when I heard, on I was on YouTube and I saw a video pop in, pop up on my page and it was like, a girl turns into a boy and I was like, oh, that's me. Yeah. I was like, I was like freaking out and I was like, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a word for it and I'm not, like, alone. This isn't a feeling that I'm just having. Like, this is something that's very common. I felt like there was hope. Mm. Like, I felt like there was, there, was, there was a chance for me to, like, become who I wanted to be. You know, seeing this man who was originally a female, like, it just, it made me feel like I had a, like, I took a step towards knowing who I was like learning about it and that was probably the first moment I remember I was in my bed I was just scrolling through YouTube and I was just like 
wow. It sounds almost like kind of euphoria. Yeah. You'd stumbled across a a new truth that aligned with who you are. Yeah, and it it was completely by chance. And, like, I would have learnt about it later on, but, you know... I wouldn't have come out as soon as I did and you'd gone through everything that I had been. What was that process of coming out like? Like, how did you tell your peers? Well, I told two of my friends. I have a friend who's um, lesbian. So I was like, surely she's going to accept me. <laughs> like, you know. So I told her and one of my closest friends um, first. I- I'm just going to interject because at what juncture did she come out to you? Um, she probably came out to me maybe in the same year or the year before. So, you know, we were very close in between. It was like we had a little bond, I guess. <laughs> a coming um, out bond. Yeah, so I came out to them and I was like talking to them and I was like, you know, should I tell my parents and whatnot? And they were like, yeah. So I came out to my mum on the same night and then I came out to the rest of my friends and then my dad within the next year and then I didn't bother telling my brother and my sister you know my sister sort of learnt about it from my dad so I thought you know there was no point because I I struggle very much with like words and like being very emotional in front of people and my sister and I because we were very you know she was doing gymnastics a lot I didn't see her very often I felt almost scared because I was her sister, you know, you have that sister bond. I didn't want to take that away from her, but I also felt like we didn't have a strong enough connection for me to feel comfortable in saying it. Do you think part of that disconnect is that you weren't her sister? You never felt like you were her sister. That's not probably. who Sam is. Yeah, um, probably a little bit. Like, I honestly, I think I feel bad, you know, growing up and, you know, her being like, oh, you're like my little sister and like whatnot. And definitely as we got older that sort of sister connection became more prominent and, like, I guess, stronger. But not for you. It was definitely... I felt a larger connection with her than my brother. But, you know, I didn't want to be her sister. And so that I think that was the problem. It wasn't that I didn't have as strong as a connection. It was just, you know, I, I didn't want to be, like... Well, you wanted to be her brother. Exactly. Yeah. So how is your relationship now with your siblings? I'm still my I'm still my sister's sister um, because you know I'm too scared to say anything because I don't want to take that away from her and I probably should but like there is no issue with our relationship we're very close and whatnot um, with my brother I never I still haven't told him but I think he just knows um, because he has you know started using different pronouns and you know calling me man and like brother and whatnot and so you know to me the way he just did it without me having to ask is really special even though we don't have the strongest connection the way he just took it upon himself to just start doing it so there's some level of acceptance there in the way he's behaving yeah exactly and I think he's a very accepting person like I remember vividly like maybe in year 10 or something we were just sitting outside his room and we were just talking about like all this stuff and he was like yeah I've got a couple of like gay friends and whatnot and I felt like I could have told him in that moment obviously I didn't but I felt like I could have and I felt very safe and like he would accept me and I've I've never doubted the fact that he would accept me Mm. but I felt like you know he can clearly figure it out and you know 
the fact that he's taken it upon himself just um, confirms that for me. Yeah, yeah. How would you know if your sister was accepting of you as her little brother? Because it sounds like you haven't gone there. Yeah. Well, we did have a conversation, but I never asked her to use those pronouns. And I think part of me is just waiting for her to do it um, because she knows. And I think it would mean more to me if she just naturally did it. But because like asking someone to like change and whatnot after they know you're trans, I feel for me, maybe not for like others, but for me, it doesn't feel right. You know, asking people to use some, use the pronouns that you feel you should already have. Can I challenge that or at least talk yeah, about go that? For it. Not no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to Don't anyway. You dare. <laughs> that was a rhetorical <laughs> question. Um, you know, it's my observation that often when we want something from mm. someone, particularly someone we love or who we're close to, we have the fantasy that they'll just get it. Yeah. That somehow through, you know, telepathy they'll understand what it is that we need from them yeah and it's not the case not I'm not thinking this is goes well beyond um the trans story or the trans narrative it's about us being articulate and direct Mm -hmm. and asking for what our needs are and then if the person is able to reciprocate celebrating that Mm. as opposed to being frustrated that we had to ask for it for something to shift no yeah definitely like I feel like I um definitely should ask well not you know I don't like the word should but I guess in asking doesn't mean that she won't reciprocate fully and wholly yeah Yeah. in the way that you're wanting her to Mm. the asking doesn't negate the giving yeah no I agree Mm. it's just for me, being trans isn't necessarily like I don't want to be trans. I want to be, you know, a cis man and a cis man is, you know, someone who was born a male mm. um, and identifies as a male. So I think I've definitely struggled with accepting the fact that I'm not a cis man and I never will be. And I think that's something that I will, I still struggle with and the fact that my name wasn't Sam when I was born and now I have to go and change my my birth certificate um, and whatnot and change my name so that it can be Sam, um, I think is just somewhat frustrating. And the fact that, you know, I have to ask people to, just not even, like, general, like, specific people, the fact that I have to ask anyone to, you know, change my pronouns and that they weren't already, you know, he, him, Mm. is something that, you know, is kind of uh, annoying, I guess, is the word that I can use. It's frustrating. And some level of grief. Yeah. And, you know, I always think that grief is defined by what we hoped would be and what is and the gap between the two. And that's what you're describing, that what you, you, you know who you are, you've always known who you are, and there's a gap between how others see you. Yeah, exactly. Which is filled with grief. Yeah, like even as a kid, I remember I remember this one dream that I tried to have 
this was when I was pretty young, um, but I was thinking of my life in the future, you know, when I'm like an adult. And I tried to picture myself as a mum, and that made me so uncomfortable. Mm. I was like, that's, I can't picture it, that's not me. Like, even if I were to picture myself as, you know, an adult female with kids, that's not the life that I want, and that's not, that won't be me um, in any shape or form. Are you now moving toward the life that you think you want? Yeah, definitely. Like, this year should be the year where I start my medical transition, and I think that I'm just excited for that. So does that mean a full gender reassignment physically? Um, yes. So I will start um, hormones. And for um, female to male transgender um, people, we take um, testosterone. And there are like three forms that you can take. it. You can take it injections, patches, and I think there's a pill or, or a cream or something that you put on. Um, and so I'll be starting that this year and that'll like help me a little bit more on the physical side other than, like, surgery and whatnot. And how long, yeah, like, how long do you have to be on that treatment? What's the sort of process? You have to take hormones for life. So that's something that you never come off of. So uh, some people do detransition because they've made, like, the wrong choice Um, or, you know, like, a lot of people identify as transgender um, after, like, a traumatic experience especially I feel for female to male because, you know, if you've been, like, raped or assaulted by a man, you want to take that power back. Um, So I think that's a lot of, like, people have been um, misidentified as transgender, whereas they actually have a different problem. Mm -hmm. And so that causes them to detransition. And so if you do decide to come off hormones, some changes will revert back, but things like your voice, because your voice drops after you take testosterone that will stay the same and you know certain other physical changes and obviously if you get surgery that's not going to go away so can you imagine being a parent oh transitioning as a parent no because you said I can't imagine being a mother which makes perfect sense to me because you're not a woman yeah but can you imagine being a parent yes and I'm honestly excited for the day where I can be a father Mm. because I just want to be you know, the best, most loving person that I can be. And um, I'm a little bit of a kid inside and I can't wait to, like, have someone who has to, you know, play with me and, like, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> like, they won't have a choice. <laughs> they, they, they sometimes turn on you, but <laughs> I guess they come back. It's a little bit overrated. <laughs> you know, no, I don't doubt it. <laughs> are you thinking about your dad when you say that? Um Yes, like I wish my dad was around um, like my entire life um, so that, you know, I could have had that like childhood. But I remember the memories that we did get to have, like going on the trampoline and him, you know, double bouncing me and I'm going in the air and like flying, or, you know, just even like playing AFL and whatnot and him coming and like tackling me and whatnot, like, or even um, playing video games with him down in our little basement, you know, that would have... You know, I just can't wait to make those memories and be that for my kid and whatnot. And yeah, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel emotional. You're having a moment. If you look back, geez, you've done a lot of living in 
Yeah. What are you? 18. Yeah. <laughs> 18 years. If you look back, what what would you have done differently about the journey you've had? It sounds like you've had some really tricky mm. times in there. I feel like I wouldn't change much because because of what I've gone through and how I've done it, I'm a very different person. I've grown so much since, you know, 2016 was probably the hardest but best year of my life because it taught me so much and it helped me, you know, change my life to the way that I can live it happily and, you know, confidently. You know, I'm still, like, not as, you know, you guys probably have a lot more knowledge um, about life. Well, I'd hope so. Not really. (laughs) Don't be fooled. (laughs) Well, you've had a lot more years to learn than I have. We might be slow learners. But sweet FA, really. (laughs) You've had different experiences. Like um, going into uni, I feel very, you know, scared and it's very daunting because it's an experience that I don't know yet. You know, life forward, I'm not sure where I'm going and I find that quite challenging. But emotionally, I have definitely learnt how to handle myself and how not to rely on others to make me happy. Like, I feel like I've learned how to make myself happy when I need to. And, you know, it's something that I'm not perfect at, but it's something that I know how to do when I need to. How do you do that? Because if you know how to do that, you could bottle that, write a book, and be, <laughs> it will be a bestseller overnight. Yeah, just buy an island. Hang out. Yeah. yeah. How Become do you do filthy that? rich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like it's different for everyone and I don't really know how to put it into words. Like, again, I'm not the best with my words. Um, I think you're good with words. But, you know, when I find myself being upset, I think about, you know, the things that make me happy, you know, happy memories and whatnot that, you know, sometimes I might be on the train and I might accidentally laugh out loud. Like, I'm, a very, I'm very good at visualising things in my mind, especially memories. I think sometimes when you get emotional and upset it can be a trap because you can get stuck there even if it's just for five ten minutes you can be stuck and whenever I find myself getting upset or the point where I could begin to be upset I just do something to distract myself or take my mind off of the thing that's making me upset you know or sometimes um, I might give myself a little you know therapy session I guess you could call it where I just work my way through the things that are making me upset and I just get them out some way and then I move on. Once it's out, just take a step back and do something else because you don't wanna you wanna you don't wanna dwell. Yeah. And yet you wanna feel you wanna feel the things that are uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't wanna ignore or pretend or mm. sweep them under the rug. If yeah. there's anger, if there's grief, sadness, frustration you want to feel that. Yeah. Do you think that? Well, for me, it's different for everybody. But for me, as soon as I feel those things, I get very stuck. Mm. And I do feel them um, when I'm with other people. And sometimes I might talk through it and whatnot, especially if I have a problem. Like I'll talk through it with my dad or, you know, whatnot, like if I really need to. And when I do have those little therapy sessions with myself I do feel those things and I get them out I probably don't do it as frequently as I do as I should do but I still do it and I still make sure that I'm feeling you know things like sadness and whatnot because 
it makes me feel human and it makes me feel like, you know. There's not a human on the planet that doesn't feel those things. And hearing you talk about the uncertainty and the overwhelm of starting uni this year, there wouldn't be many 18-year-olds who aren't feeling the same way. Mm. What what does my future hold? What will uni be like? Will I meet people? Will I like the course? Will I do okay? Will I fail? Is this what I should be doing? I feel anxious listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's the thing about university. You know, it's such a shift from high school because, you know, your hand's not being held anymore, you know. And I think the most scared, scary thing, checks, no, the most upsetting thing to me is that I had a very good connection with some of my teachers at school. And I'm afraid that I'm not going to get that. And, I, and I, I feel like I won't get that. But, you know, I might be able to get those connections somewhere else. And I think that's something that I'm going to need to figure out and learn how to do rather than, you know, being like, oh, I'm not going to get that. Anything. So how, how did you cultivate those close and trusting relationships with teachers at school? To be honest, I could not tell you. But, you know, with some of my teachers... Um, I remember I went into school the other day and I saw one of my teachers and I almost cried because I was so happy to see them. I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I I sat in her office for maybe like 30 minutes just talking about things. And, you know, I think, one, it has to be the right teacher. You know, you get those teachers who don't want a connection at all. But, you know, I think I'm very lucky to have had some teachers where I have been able to, you know, build a strong connection that... I'm almost emotional at the fact of saying goodbye. You know, I remember I had a teacher at Hauqua. She was just everything. I gave I gave her a nickname. You know, we hugged each other and whatnot. And we just had a, we had a different connection to all the other teachers, you know. Um, it meant something more than, you know, she was more like a friend than a teacher. And I had that with some of the teachers in year 12 as well. You're describing that experience not just as a one-off with one person mm. but with multiple teachers in your life. Yeah. So it sounds like you played a really significant role in creating those relationships. Mm. It's not luck. It didn't just fall on you. Yeah. You have the way about you, the way of sharing and connecting that doesn't you haven't left in the schoolyard. Yeah. Because yeah. it's you. Yeah. So you'll take that. You'll take that with you. No, yeah. I don't tend to change like my personalities when I'm around people I'm very just myself 24 7 I don't care what other people think about my personality you know it's me and if you don't like it you don't have to talk to me you don't have to see me you know whatnot and I think in the classroom that is a very big thing you know my theatre teacher she was one of the people that I had a very strong connection with Um, And I think that's a lot because I showed my personality in the classroom and I was very, you know, out there. And, you know, I I spoke to her like she was a person rather than like a teacher. And I think that's something that some students struggle with. They don't treat people, teachers like they're, you know, people. They Mm. treat them like they're different. And I think, you know, they have feelings. They get upset sometimes. Just got to accept that, you know, not every day is a good day. Your teacher might get angry at you, but, you know... Just got to accept it. Yeah. I'm going to shift gear slightly. Just thinking about where you're at in your journey, and obviously you've you know involved with the trans community. And um, what are your views really on? I suppose where society's at. Have we progressed our acceptance of trans people, or do you think discrimination is still a big issue? I think trans problems 
are still very big. And I think even within the community, you know, um, I think, you know, if you're bisexual and if you're trans, there's a lot of discrimination within the LGBT community and it's insane, you know. Um, I, or within the community itself. Yeah, within right. the community itself there are issues as well. You know, I think a lot of people... Um, decide that bisexuals don't exist Um, and I think um, some of them decide that you know transgenders aren't a part of you know that community. Um, It's hard to make sense of why certain minorities and it's across time and across culture and we see it in so many you know different spaces why one minority is not accepting and judgmental of another. Yeah. What's happening? What's your what's your um, hypothesis of that? Um, I think sometimes it might be, you know, within the LGBT community, there are people who are religious. And I think um, for some people, being transgender is, it is different from being, you know, gay and whatnot. Tell us um, about that, because I think there, there might be some misconceptions about that. Like, we do, we have the same issues within when it comes to discrimination. Well, I guess they're quite similar, but. For some people, I feel like they feel very different um, as, like, being trans is completely different to being gay and I think that might be where some people get really, you know, they struggle with it, especially if you're religious because some people see being transgender as, you know, mutilating your body and, you know, defying what God had planned for you and I think some people think it's, you know, worse than being gay because when you're being gay, you know... You're not changing your entire body, like chemistry and whatnot. You're not like changing yourself. You're just being with someone else. Uh, see, I'm not good with words. Oh, you're great <laughs> with trying, words. I'm trying so my best. For you, if you don't mind me asking, your sexuality orients towards men or women then? So I'm into women, but I think a lot of people get confused. You know, some people are like, oh, that means that you're like gay. And I'm like, well, no, I'm straight. You know, I'm a man who's into women. It, it's not different to, you know, a cis man being into women. Just because I, you know, look different to a regular man doesn't mean, you know, I'm not. It doesn't mean that I'm not straight. Um, so if I was into men, then I would be gay. Mm. And I think a lot of people get confused with that. So, yeah. Tell us, we haven't really explored the mental health piece around um, your experience and also other people, particularly in the trans community, you said you experienced a lot of depression and anxiety, particularly mm. in your sort of mid-teen years. Where are you at with that now? Some of the depression and anxiety was a lot of other problems, um, a lot of, you know, experiences that I had as a kid um, sort of started to come up and affect me, especially during Halkor. I think some of my social anxiety comes from the fact that I am trans and, you know, my voice isn't as deep as it could be. But definitely at the time, I just cared too much about what people thought and I was worried, like, do they, like, want to be my friend and whatnot? And I was just... I cared about that too much. And I think now I've learned that, you know, it doesn't matter that much thinking about it. You know, sometimes you might think differently to what someone feels and you can't tell. But something that my psychologist said to me that... He said something along the lines of, you know... Other people can't affect the way you feel. Like, you know, you decide how you feel. And I think that's something that I've really taken on board in, you know, throughout, you know, year 11 and year 12. It's something where I really started to, you know, be like, oh, you know, I think he might be right. 
you know, people can say things like, oh, you're ugly, you're disgusting, you're weird. And you could get upset about it, but you're the one who chooses to feel a certain way. So, you know, nowadays I think I practised and I learnt how to not care when someone says something like that. And I've, you know, practised to not care what other people think and not worry so much whether people want to be my friend or not. As long as I'm having a good time, it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't matter. Like, you can meet strangers and have a good time with them and you don't know what they think about you, but you're having fun, so what's the, what's the problem? Normally, I feel like if someone didn't like you, the problem would arise and they would say something or, you know, you would, you would notice because they wouldn't want to be, like, hang out with you especially if you're like hanging out with someone one-on-one like if you're worried your best friend doesn't like you then they wouldn't hang out with you you know they they wouldn't talk to you they wouldn't share things with you and I think that's something that you know I've learned to understand and and you're you're part of quite a close social group it sounds Mm. friendship group yeah from school or from elsewhere from school definitely yeah that you feel you can really be open and yourself and vulnerable with probably not vulnerable but that's just the person that I am I'm not much of a share on emotional things I like to be happy and I like to be you know bubbly and I'm very I'm very much someone who you know can open up about certain things um and you know I'm very open to you know receiving things as well like I take when my friends are upset or something I take them out for ice cream and we go to McDonald's and get some food and we have a little chat in the car and we just sit there and eat and you know whatnot and I think sometimes that can be you know really important and yeah it's just it's just it just feels good you know helping people and then getting things like learning about them and you know getting things about their life and things that they're struggling with and then sharing things that you might be struggling with and whatnot I'm very good at sharing what I'm struggling with sometimes with certain people. Mm. So. And good at listening too, it sounds yeah. like. If there were parents listening to this conversation who had children who were trans or maybe mm. even LGBTIQ but I think trans in particular, what's your message to them? Just take your time, try and try your best. You know, I think something that, you know, people, you don't have to necessarily accept them but just try to or you know show that you could so as a parent you're saying take your time Mm. don't make flash judgments yeah and seek to find a way to accept your child for who they are yeah and I think you know sometimes parents you know due to like religious beliefs might not or like you know the way that they grow up they might not accept you and, you know, for people who, have, who don't accept me, I accept it as their opinion and, you know, I'm not going to get in their way. I'm not going to try and convince them otherwise um, because I feel like, you know, that's just going to start an argument. If they want to change their mind, they'll do it on their own. And I think something that parents struggle with a lot is, um, you know, they'll, they'll be like, you're wrong. That's, that's not how you should feel. Change, change the way you feel, you know, I don't, I don't like that, you can't do that, um, your life is going to be terrible if you, if you choose to go down this path. And, you know, one, being trans doesn't really affect how your life changes, you know. Um, 
your gender changes and you take on board whatever that comes with. People won't really know if you're trans or not when you go through your medical transition. If, you know, I saw a trans man walking down the street, I probably wouldn't know. I'd probably think that he was just a regular cis man. And that's the thing in the work, when you get your gender changed on your birth certificate and things, it's not going to affect you anymore. People won't know you're trans, so it's not going to be a problem. And I think a lot of parents get mixed up in that, thinking that it's going to ruin their life um, and, you know, make it harder for them to, like, get things like jobs and stuff. It, it shouldn't, and it probably won't. You know, I think a lot of parents, they're, they're like, I'm always right. I think that comes into it. And I think with this, you just need to step back and see what happens and see where it takes them and support them. You don't necessarily need to accept them. Just give them support, though, because they, at the end of the day, they are your kid. And support means more than acceptance mm. sometimes. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing no your problem. big story. And um, I'm excited to see what you do with this year and step out into uni and <laughs> yeah. the rest of your life. We always ask guests on this show, um, it's all about looking at humans and how they're yeah. living their lives and how do we do that better or understand each other better. Who do you think is doing human well? Who's someone you can think of who you think they're doing a really good job of being a human on the earth right now? I don't know. I feel like everybody's just a bit, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. I feel like everyone does human well, you know. How can you do human wrong if you're a human? Okay, beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's my take on it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, awesome. Sam, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, really, really good to talk. I'll just say this. Um, with being with transgender issues and any issue, to be honest, I think a lot of it comes from a lack of education. Like... Um, there's this chick that I've watched on YouTube and she's very transphobic. Um, I won't name her, but, um, you know, I, I think a lot of her points and a lot of the questions that she asks are just uneducated. You know, people, people are all worried about, like, um, especially in America, like the bathroom situations mm. and things. So uneducated. You know, people are like... Um, this one lady asked um, if we should put urinals in um, female bathrooms for men with penises. That was the exact question that she asked. She didn't say for... She said for women with penises, sorry. Mm. And it's like, I don't think any trans woman would want to use a urinal. That's signposting the fact that they are trans. Mm. And for me personally, if I had to do that, that would give me anxiety. Mm. And, you know, a lot of them get surgery to, you know, get that removed and get, you know, a vagina. Mm. And I think, um, you know, there's no point. And, and is that more about the discomfort of other people? Exactly. Trying to box people. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know if a transgender woman walked into your bathroom. You would know if a man walked into your bathroom, but you would not know if a transgender mm. woman walked into your bathroom. And I think that's the thing that people are so confused about. Well, and genders traditionally, it's so binary. Exactly. Like, so we need to move away from the black and white and say there's, exactly. there's a spectrum here and we've got to allow for that um, exactly. within our systems, within our, you yeah. know, our language, our society. And label schmabel. I mean, yeah. we're human. And, you know, there's um, in the Malt House Theatre, there's a unisex bathroom rather than a men's bathroom. Mm. 
And then there's obviously the female's bathroom because I think, you know, female safety is very important um, in this issue. I think a lot of female are sca- females are scared if a man walks into their bathroom, so obviously they're not going to want to share their bathroom with men. But I feel like going having a unisex bathroom instead of a men's bathroom is much... It's progressive mm. and it's it's different. Like, you don't necessarily need a straight men's bathroom, like a general men's bathroom, because, you know then that means that trans women can use the unisex bathroom if they don't want to use the female bathroom. Mm. And I think that's very different and, you know, accepting. And, you know, I feel like as a trans man, I feel a lot more comfortable going into the unisex bathroom because I feel like it, it's just open mm. and accepting. And, like, yeah. you know, anyone can go in that bathroom. It's just so. a bathroom. No, no exactly. <laughs> crying out loud. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she also asked, you know, should we put... Um, free pads and tampons in the men's bathroom for men with periods and when you go on she would know this if she had done her research when you go on um hormone therapy your period stops after like a couple of months so not really many men are getting periods Mm. because you know it's it's gone Mm. and even then imagine the embarrassment of going up and taking that. And even in the women's bathroom, there aren't free pads and tampons. Yes. It's like, it's like why would we give really something to men that women line of don't questioning <laughs> Around trying to, as you say, make it binary. Mm. We want women in there with pads and tampons. We want men in there with urinals and we don't want any overlap. Exactly. I think it's, you know, it's whatever. It's a bathroom. People just go in there to do their business and yeah, leave. which they've been doing since the dawn of time. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Thank no you problem. again. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 